Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. On today's episode, the surprising truth about how others see us, how we see ourselves, and why the answers matter more than we think. Welcome to the latest edition of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Gordon, and today we are joined by the author of the book, Insight, Tasha Yurick. Tasha, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thanks for having me, Chad. It, it's so good to have you on this. I really enjoyed the book and and what it does um, so well, I think, is it opens up this realm of, of just possibility of understanding self so much more and obviously self-awareness. What led you to this topic? Why did you feel like this was an area you wanted to tackle? I've been an organizational psychologist for uh, more than the last 15 years. And intuitively, just like I think most people, I always believed that self-awareness was important. You know, this goes all the way back to ancient Greece when, when Plato was talking about the importance of knowing thyself. But as I continued to practice and, and as an executive coach and as a consultant, I, I started to feel more and more strongly that this wasn't just an important skill. It was a central skill to our effectiveness. And I remember I had just finished a coaching assignment with a, a leader who essentially went from <laughs> completely delusional to <laughs> incredibly self-aware and successful and in control um, in the course of about eight months. And it wasn't because I was so great as his coach. It was actually because he was willing to question some of those assumptions he's made about himself. He was willing to listen to some really tough feedback from his team. And uh, basically what I was wondering at that point was what do we actually know scientifically about self-awareness? Mm. And uh, as a you know geeky researcher, I started to do some literature searches. And what I really wanted to know was, um, you know, we have all these platitudes about self-awareness and how important it is, but do we actually know scientifically, you know, what is it? Where does it come from? Why do we need it? How do we develop it? And I was pretty surprised that the uh, we knew very little, all things considered. And so my research team and I, about five years ago, shortly after that, started the first large-scale scientific study of self-awareness um, in order to answer some of those questions. Because obviously we talk about how important it is, but a lot of the things we discovered were counterintuitive or they went against some of the common wisdom that, that people usually um, share about self-awareness. So we, we learned a lot more than we thought we would. And it's been more important than, than I ever thought it would be when we first started. That, that's great. This book is such a treasure trove of, of, of great insights uh, and, and wisdom. And I think about like my own personal journey, you know, whether it's going to a retreat or, or, or doing some self-work where I'm aware 
of maybe a bad pattern or something I've done. And then what I love about the gift of, of awareness is it like when you actually run through that stop sign the next time, you actually know that you shouldn't be doing that, you know, and things like that. So how does somebody, if somebody wanted to, to kind of use the in, insights and use the research that, that, that you found, like where would they start to kind of build up kind of a foundation of, of self-awareness? So the first step is really counterintuitive. And and before I answer it, let me give you a couple of data points. So we've found in our research that 95% of people believe that they are self-aware. But the real percentage of people who actually are is closer to about 10 to 15%. And that's pretty stunning. The joke I always make is that means that on a good day, 80% of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. And, you know, it's so fun to point out the lack of self-awareness that we see everywhere around us, but in ourselves. And so um, part of what we did in our study was we investigated people like my coaching client who didn't start out as self-aware, but who really made a dramatic transformation. And what we found was the first step of that process for almost all of them was a decision or a realization that maybe I don't know myself as well as I think I do. And so I always tell people to to compassionately stop assuming that you're Mm self-aware. The last thing I want, and by the way, this is not self-awareness, is to to be overly focused or overthinking ourselves or overanalyzing what we're doing. Um, but, But just to say, maybe there is a lot more to learn about myself than I might believe there is. That completely opens you up to all of the data that you're going to come across in your journey of self-awareness. But that is um, the, the number one most important first step. Yeah. So it really is that willingness to improve, that willingness to see the flaws kind of in the system that, that you've kind of created um, with yourself. So is this something that somebody could do on their own? Is this something that uh, that they're going to need some guidance through coaching as they need to go away and and, and be enlightened at a retreat? What, what would be one of the first steps that I would take? So I, I realize that, hey, I may not be self-aware. Um, I would like to make some changes to be to be better to, to myself and my world and my family and my job. Um, where would you direct somebody to get started? So this is a journey that anyone can take. And as a result of our research, I'm actually more confident than I was when we started that it is a profoundly improvable skill. Mm. So just because we have work to do doesn't mean we can't do it. But maybe to answer your question a little bit more specifically, it might make sense to go a little bit more detail into what exactly is self-awareness. And what we've discovered, uh, obviously self-awareness means seeing yourself clearly, but it's composed of two very specific types of knowledge about ourselves both of which we need to be self-aware and successful. So the first is something we named internal self-awareness. And essentially that's knowing who you are on the inside. It's knowing your, your values, what you're passionate about, what environment you fit best in, what's your personality, what are your strengths and weaknesses? So that internal understanding. But equally important, is something called external self-awareness, which in a nutshell is knowing how other people see you. And we found, surprisingly, at least to me, that those two types of self-knowledge are completely independent. So what that means is you could be low on both, you could be high on both, you could be high on one and low on the other. And so what I would suggest for people, you know, if they've made this commitment, uh, whether or not they have a coach, whether or not they, you know, read insight is to just ask themselves, um, where do I stand on both of these skills or both of these areas of self-knowledge? Do I feel like I can answer some of those questions about myself? If not, 
that's an area where I should focus? Or um, do I feel like I know myself really clearly, but I can't think of the last time I asked someone else for feedback? That might be an indication that you would want to start with external self-awareness. And the good news is we can build that knowledge very slowly and incrementally, but over time have uh, very, very powerful and dramatic improvements in um, seeing both of those areas more clearly. I appreciate that. I want to go back just a little bit. It just piqued one of my questions. I think about Blanchard has a a self-leadership program that really is about understanding what you bring to the table and and, uh, um, focusing on, you know, setting your own goals and kind of focusing ahead on and being the best you that you can be. One of the areas that that, uh, that they, they focus is around the area of understanding that there's things called assumed constraints, which these are things that can pull you down, things that you just uh, just take a blindly as this is how it is. You talk about that a lot in the book as well about assumptions and about how they can really pull you down from really realizing, um, you know, your best self. You hit the nail on the head. And that actually reminded me of a a really quick personal example of that, because by the way, um, even self-awareness researchers have a ton to improve. Um, I was Marshall Goldsmith, who's the considered one of the best executive coaches in the world, um, is one of my mentors. And Mm. I was at an event that he was leading and we were talking about how we were going to change at the end of it, how we would be better leaders. And I was I was, you know, adding a comment and then I ended it with well, but I can't really, I can't probably do that because I'm an introvert. And Marshall, if you know Marshall, he he said, no, 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 no. What if that is who you used to be? You have 100% control over um, making a decision and, and changing your behavior. You've obviously got to work hard, but it, it, it came, it, it really helped me understand that some of these things that we learn, even in personality tests, you know, I could argue that knowing that I'm introverted makes me more self-aware, but there is sometimes a, a dark side or at least a limiting side of that knowledge where we use it to put boundaries or constraints around ourselves. So um, absolutely, I agree 100%. Yeah, Marshall's a, a, a previous uh, a guest on the program program, friend of the program, uh, one of the most incredible men I've ever, I've ever met. And um, congratulations to you. I didn't mention this in the run up, but you were, you were chosen as one of his 100 coaches that uh, got, you know, is getting the download of everything he's learned and the insights. Uh, um, Take a quick deviation from the book just to say, how's that experience been like for you? And um, how are you hoping to use that knowledge that you've gleaned from, from Mr. Goldsmith? So the the bottom line about uh, this program is that Marshall wants to pay it forward. He has so many people that have been so generous to him in his life. You know, there's Peter Drucker, Francis Hesselbein, Alan Mulally, and he realized what an impact they had on him. And he actually had this idea in the workshop of one of the people who ended up being in this group. And he said, what I have to do now in my life is, is pay it forward and do for others what, what um, others have done for me. And so it's funny because when I was accepted into the program inexplicably out of 18,000 applicants, which I still can't get over, I thought that I was on a, going to be on a very prestigious list. You know, I thought I could brag about it on my resume you know, I could talk about it in podcasts, but I didn't really have an understanding of how much it would not just change my life, but shape who I am as a person. And we get together, this group of 100 coaches and Marshall with some special guests, uh, probably three or four times a year since it started. So it's been a little bit more than a year. 
And the other people in this group and Marshall, um, they're my family. They're my confidants. They're my biggest supporters, my biggest champions. And, and I want to do the same for them. And so I, there, I'm telling you all that with the ulterior motive that maybe we can all remember to pay it forward. And Marshall has told us that our expectation, his expectation of us is that we have our hundred coaches when the time is right. And so I think, you know, if we think about the people in our lives that have opened doors and really helped us get where we are, we owe it to the world to do the same. That's beautiful. I, I, one question I want to ask you going back to the book, we talked about some of the roadblocks and Whenever I kind of kind of take these these podcasts on, I always I, I never want to put words into my listeners' mouths, but I, I'm going to say there's probably a good chance that I'm not alone in this. I don't always like getting feedback. <laughs> I don't always um, <laughs> actively run down that hallway and say, "Please, please tell me, tell me what I can improve upon." Um, is there something you learned in your research? Is there something you learned on your journey that could help people like me that uh, um, to see that as the gift that it really is? There's so much to that, but I think here's what's at the core of it. So in our, in our research with those highly self-aware people who didn't start out that way, what I expected when I asked them how they felt about feedback was for them to say, oh, I love it. Every time someone tells me something I can improve, I just want to skip down the hallways with joy. And we were pretty, I at least was really shocked when we heard them say, no, are you kidding? Well, I remember one of them, one of our interview subjects said, I hate hearing I'm not perfect. What human would like to hear that they're not perfect? And when I, when we started investigating, you know, the patterns there, and that was a pretty big pattern was, it doesn't mean that they like it. It means that they're willing to push through the fear and the uncertainty and the discomfort in order to get to the other side of that self-knowledge. So in some ways, I think if we can just rid ourselves of the unreasonable pressure that we're ever going to enjoy getting feedback, it allows us to focus a little bit more on the commitment we're making and and the long-term investment that we're putting into ourselves when we ask for it. Now, there's a lot of other things involved, of course, but I think that's really the, the heart of the matter. I, I, so moving on, and 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 I appreciate that from uh, on the feedback side. The the area of the book that was really interesting to me that really struck a chord because we've seen this change, and and whether it you know that the, the the generation of the participant trophies and everyone's special, and <laughs> and I, I love that you you uh, you made this discussion, uh, you you made this point. It's 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 shift from focusing more on feeling great than actually becoming great. Is this something that and I, and again I. I I never want to say this in such a way to say, okay, this is about a generation um, and it's not. We've all kind of are getting to that kind of selfie mentality that you've talked about with Instagram and all the social media where it looks good on paper. Um, What is the damage and what's the danger you found and how do we get away from the challenges of, of unicorns and rainbows and projecting this everything is wonderful but not actually working through the problems? There has been evidence um, in all age groups all around the globe, um, in, in every you know cr- cranny of the world, that this is a not just a you know societal problem; it's a worldwide problem. So I, I always say that as the oldest millennial, I feel that I have to speak on behalf <laughs> of my generation and say it's not just us. Um, yeah. But you're absolutely right. There, there's we we actually named it the cult of self, and if you think about it, you know when you leave your house every day you are tempted both online and in real life to become more and more self-absorbed and less and less self-aware. 
Even think about the way most people use social media. Nobody posts on social media the horrible fight they had with their significant other that day. They are going to wait for something amazing to happen, like maybe they're on a great beach vacation and post that beach shot. And there's so much effort that it takes to, it's called self-presentation, to seem a certain way to others that we are becoming completely disconnected with who we really are. So, you know, there's a lot of things we can do to combat the cult of self, but there's a, um, some research that's been done that basically says we all have a choice as we're going through the world. We can be um, what another researcher has called a me-former or an informer. So me formers are the cult of self devotees. They, they talk about themselves, they're focused on themselves, but the people who are informers are more focused on um, what do they add to the world and what can they learn from the people around them? And this is another paradox of self-awareness, but in, in removing that constant self-focus from our lives, it actually allows us to see things more clearly and that that includes ourselves. So I think that's just a, a small change. You know, for example, if you're about to post something on social media, I've started doing this. I ask myself, what am I hoping to accomplish by posting this? And honestly, nine times out of 10, I answer honestly to make everyone know how awesome I am. <laughs> And if I'm going to do that, you know, maybe I still hit send, but um, most of the time it's actually helped me change the way I am looking at myself as it relates, not just to social media, but, but life in general. So I think we could all take a dose of that. I'm trying my best and it's definitely not easy. How do you feel that that's carried over into the workplace in terms of just do you feel like there's an authenticity problem and an authenticity uh, a deficit in in the workplace, and it, you know people aren't aren't being their authentic self? It's hmm. a really great question. I think that as we as as the, our self perceptions become increasingly inflated, it becomes more and more difficult for other people to give us candid feedback. You know, you think about the, everybody knows an incredibly delusional person that they probably work with. Um, That person obviously, you know, most of the time has a, a, a conception of their talents and contributions that has no basis in reality. But the likelihood that giving them feedback is going to change those self perceptions is, is pretty low. And what I found is in, in workplaces and, you know, clients that I've worked with where there is candor, there's also a humility and and to say, I don't feel like I have to look a certain way or be a certain way. I'm obviously going to come to work and perform at my best, but by being humble and open, I'm going to actually learn what I'm contributing that's helpful and what, what I need to change and do better. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good take. Uh, so looking kind of forward into, you know, doing that self-work and actually focusing on the areas of ins- insight that you can you can focus on, you can improve on. There's that there's a fine line I, I think I'm gathering from from what I've read in the book is is that you, you want people to to be aware, to really focus on 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 uh, the things that that motivates them, what they're feeling, but the, and their behaviors. So there's there's a there's a part of that that you want people to do, but there's also a, a little danger where you actually dig a little bit too further, uh, too deep, and and then you start dwelling on things that are that are issues, and and you could actually kind of stew kind of in that negativity. So how do you actually go down into that self awareness hole and come out of it with positive uh, uh, positive areas to focus on versus kind of as, as you said, it kind of rumination ruminating on on the negative. Yeah, there's this uh, completely wrong perception. Uh, I certainly had it before I started this research that anytime we spend self-reflecting, 
the more time we spend, the more self-aware we will become. And in our research, very, very early on, when I was operating with that hypothesis, we, we did a quick survey where we surveyed about 200 people and we asked them, how much time do you spend self-reflecting? And then we measured things like their satisfaction with their life and their relationships and how much control did they feel over their lives and were they anxious or depressed or stressed? And I was shocked isn't even a, a, a powerful enough word when I saw the results, which was, it was actually the opposite of what I thought we would find. The more time people spent self-reflecting, the less well-off they were. So they were more stressed, more depressed, more anxious, less happy with their lives, less satisfied with their relationships. And for several weeks, I was thinking to myself, maybe self-awareness is actually not that valuable. Maybe maybe there is such a thing as, as, as too much thinking about ourselves. But when we dove into some of the research on this, we actually discovered something really important, which is it's not that self-reflection is bad inherently. It's just that the way most of us self-reflect is um, flawed and or unproductive. So the good news is there are ways to, to think about ourselves and see ourselves clearly without overthinking or without kind of going down a, a you know, rabbit hole of rumination, but we just have to be really careful. So you know, sometimes it's, it's a matter of saying, could I reflect on this for a defined period of time and then decide what I'll do about it when I'm finished? You know, instead of, I think a lot of times we, we, think we're increasing our self-awareness and we're really just beating ourselves up over something we did. So uh, this is a tool that I talk about in the book. Instead of, uh, instead of saying why, you know, why did I do that? Or why did that happen? A better question would have the word what in it. So what can I do differently next time? You know, what can I do to move forward? What kind of support do I need to ask for from other people? But the difference there is our self-reflection should be leading us forward. It should be having us focus on our, our past and our present only enough to move forward in the future productively. So I think as, as a general rule, if we can do that, we're a large part of the way there. And I really, I did appreciate that. The, the, the why and the what was, was very eye-opening for me as well, because the why you can start thinking, well, this is foundational. This is unchangeable. This is a part of my fabric and that's, that can get you stuck. And the what is about, is about the future. It's looking ahead. I, I, I really appreciated that. So we, we've talked about, uh, I feel like we're jumping around. I, I apologize. That's the way my mind is working today on this because I am trying to get insight into my insights. Uh, at least that's what I'm telling myself. So let's talk about how others can help you because we've talked internally what you can do. What can you do to kind of create a culture of support and help? And, and we talked about briefly in the beginning about feedback. What are some of the areas that you can create an environment where you're getting external help with your insight? Mm -hmm. So do you want me to focus on how a leader can do that for a team or how anyone can do that for themselves? Well, I think you know, for the purposes of this and for leader chat, let's talk about it, you know, as we're leading others, how, how you can kind of create that environment. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a really important point to focus on. We have discovered in our research that there are basically three building blocks to self-aware teams. And just to briefly define what that means, if, if an individual who is self-aware understands, you know, who they are, what they're trying to accomplish, what they're good at, what they're not good at, uh, by that same token, a self-aware team understands their 
their objectives, their progress towards those, those objectives, their assumptions, their individual contributions. So it's really just awareness for everyone. It's seeing things clearly, being able to talk honestly, uh, being able to be open with one another and about the realities of the business. So the three building blocks we discovered, and these are kind of in order, at least I think about them that way. Number one is the leader has to model the way. I can't tell you how many leaders I've worked with, with who have, you know, maybe told me everybody else on my team really needs to improve, but I'm good. <laughs> and <laughs> if, if you don't go first, if you don't set the stage, if you don't model that vulnerability and humility and openness, um, it, it'll just be a sham if, if you ask your team to do the same thing. So there's an exercise I talk about in the book that I've been doing for probably more than a decade, which is called the leader feedback process. And, um, to vastly oversimplify it, essentially what you do is you and your team get in a room with a, a very trained, skilled facilitator. Uh, you leave the room and the facilitator asks the team a series of questions about you. You know, what do we know about this person? What do we want this person to do differently or to start or stop? Um, what, what does this person need to know about our team to be more successful? And then the leader comes back and they have this, you know, usually the, the walls of the conference room are plastered with feedback, anonymous feedback from the team. And I found that as a, as a first step, to building a more candid and self-aware culture in a team. Um, it is so powerful. I, I had a president who was very skeptical of the process and somehow I convinced him to give it a whirl with his team. And afterwards he said, that is the single most powerful feedback experience I've ever had in my career. So it's scary, uh, but if you have the, uh, the right person who can help you, it, it can be huge. So the second building block yeah. is uh, the safety and expectation to tell the truth. I think we've all had a bad boss in the past where the boss says, you know, bring me a problem as soon as you know about it. And then when you bring them a problem, you get your head bit off or you get yelled at. And over time, you're going to not bring problems anymore to your boss. So um, there's a story I tell in the book about Alan Mulally, who, in my opinion, is the, the greatest CEO of all time, uh, who turned around Boeing Commercial and Ford. Um, and he tried and tried and tried to get his team to tell the truth. And they were so scared when he first took over in his role at Ford. But there was one moment where his head of North American operations did tell him something really hard in front of the team. And Alan was very careful to, he actually started exuberantly applauding and <laughs> saying, thank you, Mark. Thank you for telling us that. And he rewarded Mark. You know, the next time everybody came to the meeting, Mark was sitting right next to Alan. Alan was talking to him, asking his opinion. So it's not what you say, it's what you do. Um, and then the third building block, and this is a podcast in and of itself, is you have to have systems in place to make sure that you're constantly looking at the reality of the business. So it's not enough to do a retreat and, you know, lock yourselves in a room and tell each other the truth and then wait right. six months or a year. You've got to have some kind of regular process to make sure that happens at least monthly, but ideally weekly. We're talking with Tasha Eric, the uh, the author of Insight, The Surprising Truth About How Others See Us, How We See Ourselves, Why the Answers Matter More Than We Think. I love one of the one of the blurbs from Chip Heath. He was actually one of the previous guests on the podcast. He says, buy a copy for yourself and buy another one and leave it anonymously on your boss's desk. This really is uh, a, this is an owner's manual for um, looking at yourself differently, looking at people differently, um, really gaining the self-awareness. And I appreciate the time today. If, if, I could, if, if, if I could just ask you to share one thing that you want our listeners to kind of take away from our conversation, what would you share? 
I would, I would argue that working on your self-awareness will put you ahead of 80% of your colleagues in, in the normal population. It, it's the secret ingredient for success. And I would say, don't put pressure on yourself to figure yourself out once and for all in 30 days or less, but really just try to be open to, um, you know, what your environment and what the people around you are telling you so that you can gradually over time uh, really make some big improvements. One of the favorite things that, that I love about the leader chat and having these discussions with so many different authors, some fantastic authors like yourself is this, we are all a work in progress and there's a, a great opportunity. Uh, these are learnable skills. Um, and, and this book really is a great eye opener um, to the insights or the insights of insights. <laughs> and so thank you for your time, Tasha, if you want uh, people to kind of, if, if people want to dig a little bit deeper into you and find out more about you, follow you, where, where would you direct? So let me be an informer and not a me former. Um, we've actually developed a free, no strings attached self-awareness quiz um, that you can actually take it. You answer 14 questions. You then send a survey to someone who knows you well. They answer the 14 questions and you get a nice little report with a very, very high level picture of your self-awareness. So if, if anyone's interested in that, um, we, we get great feedback on it. I hope it's helpful to you. But you can find that at www.insight-quiz.com. Once again, do me that uh, website one more time. Insight-quiz.com. Perfect. Tasha, thank you so much. Thanks for your time today. It was, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you. It was so great to be here. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Chad, I love your session with Tasha. Uh, this whole area of self-awareness is so important. It's really interesting. And over the years as I worked with top managers, the ones that are really a problem are completely unaware. They not only have no internal self-awareness, they don't have any external because they're these kind of people who are very aggressive and all, and the people around them don't want to give them feedback. She gave a great suggestion about getting feedback. If a consultant can talk one of these managers into getting feedback, then you have the group uh, give feedback without the manager there and put, put uh, post-its around and all, and then bring the manager back in because then people can give feedback w without worrying about what it might do for their career and all. And it's, uh, it's really interesting. I have found that, that these managers are really scared little kids inside because they don't really know themselves and they're trying to protect themselves. And that's why they have high control uh, needs. And I remember uh, with uh, the book, I'm Okay, You're Okay by, by our buddy. And he said, the people who act like I'm okay, you're not okay. You know, Thomas Harris was the worst, worst position are people who are really covering up not okay feelings about themselves. And so 
what I think all of us, given the fact that only about 15% of us really are self-aware, that we should really open ourselves for feedback and maybe use that questionnaire uh, that she has. Because to me, feedback is the breakfast of champions. And if you can receive feedback and find out how you're coming across, then, as she says, you can focus on the future. What can I do next? So this is a powerful session, and I think her book is a very powerful book that you ought to share with all of your people. So take care of yourself. Get feedback. It's the breakfast of champions.